don't worry about it so much. Let the problems come to you in a bit because if you're like, I have too many customers, the system's breaking every day, that's a very good problem to have. No one's excited by, I have the most efficient system ever. We found out our system scales really well. We had one accident when one of our QA engineers was testing uh, cloaked text messages. He actually built a infinite loop and we had sent 16 million text messages to ourselves in like seconds. And we're like, oh shoot, I guess the server scales really well. But that was a, uh, a fun learning moment for me. Make some good decisions early on, but you don't need to make the best decisions. My name is Arjun McNagar. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Cloaked. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Arjun Bhatnagar created the solution to eliminate the pressure of being forced to share personal info. All this and more on Code Story. Arjun Bhatnagar has been coding since he was 10 years old, and in general, his family is full of entrepreneurs running their own businesses. In fact, his brother is his co-founder in his current business. He loves to read, write, and play tennis in his spare time, along with playing music. In general, he's passionate about creating and was inspired early on by the Inkheart series of books. Arjun decided to build a prototype system which integrated all the data from every aspect of his life. What he figured out was that he didn't trust other companies to handle the data from these systems. And he needed a way to cloak his true credentials from those he utilized on other platforms. This is the creation story of Cloaked. Cloaked is a consumer privacy company focused on putting you in control of your data. We really think that how the internet works, how businesses treat you, it's all over the place. And usually you're taking the short end of the stick where businesses have complete control over you. But we realized that consumer privacy and security is a very complicated space. We're too busy selling people encryption or security software. And what I realized is that we should be focused on how do we make it really easy and then bring that forward. So what Cloaked is, it's a platform that helps you create identities on the fly. And an identity can be an email, phone number, credit card, address, whatever you need, but it's not a burner or throwaway. So what we create is using our browser extension, web app, and mobile app, we can create a unique working email, phone number, card for Amazon, unique working email, phone number for Walmart, a unique email, phone number for every realtor you're talking to and you're looking for an apartment, or a, a phone number for the cute guy you met at the bar. The idea is that it's in those moments when you want to share information or you're asked for that information and you just don't feel comfortable. We're really trying to think about what does comfort look like as a space and bringing in the principles of privacy and security and then advancing that forward and making it really consumer friendly altogether. I've been thinking about what eventually became Cloaked for a few years. I've had a huge journey in technology and startups. After my second startup, I became a VC. And when I became a VC, I, just, I was thinking about an idea. I wanted to figure out how my data could help my life. As someone who's really tuned to technology and information and data, I was like, if I could get some insight or lots of insight, it could help me with my life. So I got a Mac Mini, put it in my apartment, and decided to write integrations into everything about myself. And I had a, I have a slight background in machine learning, so I wrote some basic models to help me. 
and said, hey, look at my stuff and figure out how my life could be better. So it very quickly start, my box started telling me things. It said, hey, you missed your workout yesterday. Do 15 push-ups between these two meetings. Based on my spending habits, it said, hey, let's cut back on the alcohol this week. Understanding what is my actual average trend spending. But it hit me in the face one day when I was at lunch with somebody and I put my phone down. At the end of lunch, I picked up my phone and I realized my really crude AI had a full conversation with my then girlfriend. It said, I love you, sent her memes, and it went back and forth. And the conversation was over by the time I picked up my phone. And I just stared, I remember looking at it, just staring at it. I was like, wow, what, what just happened? And that moment I was thinking, well, this is really cool. But there's two big realizations I had in that single moment is one, I don't own any of my own data. And two, I don't trust Facebook, Amazon, Google, or anybody to make something like this. And I was like, I love technology. And if I don't trust that, we have a huge problem how any of this stuff works. I kind of was on a run one day and I've been thinking like, how do I make this as a solution? And it hit me when I was running. So I had kind of the active part of my life. It was like running was a really nice way for me to get my mind going. I was like, I want to work with consumers. And it hit me how to get started. And then this solution of Cloaked was where, how I got started around that. I was like, oh, consumers get this. I'm not going to sell like B2B software behind the scenes. I want to sell software or something that people actually get and could use in their lives. Well, tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built um, after you decided to make it. Maybe it's right after the run, right? You, you tell me where it was. But tell me about the MVP, how long it took to build, and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. This being my third startup, I've become very disciplined around the approach of, I want to make an MVP that it's got the essentials to really get going and put in front of somebody. Less about trying to make it perfect, because perfection is always that enemy of good. As someone who can code and is very senior in technology, I'm very cautious about spending time going to go build something right away, because it's always the, the excitement, let's go build something. I'm like, well, you can always go build something. But I called my brother and I pitched him this idea and he said, oh, this actually could work. And I was like, when he said this could work, I was like, oh shoot, I'm onto something. Because he always shoots down all my ideas, telling me that they, they, they won't work. The MVP really looked like, I was like, okay, how can I uh, very quickly and make it easy to share information that's not my own? Now, the name Cloaked came later, but now we call them Cloaked information or Cloaked numbers, Cloaked emails. So my brother and I, he, within a weekend, built a browser extension that could fill in uh, emails, numbers, and things on a web page. The team knows this from my entire Cloak team. I built what we call email routing and phone routing within the matter of days. So I built MVP where you could get an email and then email could relay to your actual email address. And I got a phone number working where somebody could send a text and the text would relay to your real phone number. It was a one big Python file and my engineers later would say, oh, you have to split it up and everything. I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's why it's MVP. One big Python file organized by different functions and we got the experience. Because the big thing was we wanted to get the experience right. So we got an MVP between my uh, brother's effort in a weekend and me over a week getting the backend set up. And then we actually tried going to a website, his extension really, really crude way, filled in the web page. And it pinged my back end and we generated numbers and emails and we saw the information flowing. That was how we approached the MVP. And then we went on to try to make this a business, get funding. And part of that, we also got, uh, we did a lot of user insights and tests to say, hey, what do you think of this? That's where I really think it's like, before we jumped in too far, 
I did, I think a hundred plus customer calls to like put this in front of people and see how they feel, how they think about it. And when we saw everybody's eyes light up every time that happened, I was like, we're, we're onto something. So with any MVP, you've got to make decisions and trade-offs, right? And, and you mentioned one, the, the one big file, right? Instead of uh, one big Python file, instead of a, a bunch of smaller files. But, you know, you could, could be decisions around technical debt or feature cut or like focal points, right? Tell me about those decisions and trade-offs you had to work through and how you coped with them. I take the principle that you should make decisions that you can always come back to later. Just because I've been a technical leader for a while, so I kind of have the experience to realize what decisions to make. For example, I said security is paramount to Clo. How we approach this, and so the framework I picked was Django and a Python. I initially thought about coding it in Rust or in Golang and some of these things, but I realized now my business acumen came in and I said, I could build that and be really cool, really interesting, but then I would have a really hard time hiring engineers or uh, like rewriting things where like very few people actually know how to write in these softwares, these tools, and then know how to bring it to scale. So I picked a language that everybody really knows, Python. Um, our front ends in JavaScript and React, these things that it's really easy to hire for and bring people in. And then for me with the framework, I said, okay, if I follow just best practices generally, which I, I'm aware of, I really can keep this in a smart way architecturally. So even if I have one big Python file, it's in an organized Django app. And that can be easily changed, modified, and improved. And now somebody could say, well, maybe we should have done fast API or a different thing. But then I realized when you do something like a fast API or you do uh, like a Node.js type of thing, I was like, well, that adds a lot more time on other dimensions, security, database, ORM, all these things. I was like, I don't want to spend too much effort on there. Whereas, for example, Django is like, oh, you have a really robust ORM to pick the right database. We know that there's a lot of trade-offs coming down the road. I just want to pick standard things I can work with really well that people know, as opposed to making too many experiments. And that's what for me is like, I knew at the end of the day, I can command the project really well. I can explain to engineers how to build this and continue this, um, as opposed to kind of putting myself even in unfamiliar territory. Pick the path of familiarity that creates a lot of success early on. And that guided my decisions, even architecture, AWS, all these things. But you can take some gamble. I say for Cloaked, we took one innovation is that the first line of code I wrote at Cloaked was how do I separate user data from the main database? Uh, so one unique thing about Cloaked is when you create an account, you actually separate all of the user data on their own databases. So every user has their own database. So that's probably the one innovative part of the architecture that I had an opinion on. But besides that, everything was very familiar. From that point, so you got the MVP, it's working, then you, you, you know, went out and you mentioned funding, you mentioned moving the product forward. How did you progress it from there and mature it? And I think what I'm interested in is how you built your roadmap, how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. We have a 10-year vision. So like you always, people always quote like uh, Elon Musk's uh, vision and where he's thinking about seven, 10 years down the road. I have a lot of different opinions on Elon Musk, but my thinking around that is that I do know where Cloak wants to go. And early on, I realized that we have to start simple and start right now what is actually possible and then iterate from there. So very quickly for us, we was like, well, we got the extension going. Let's make a very lightweight dashboard to manage these things. Let's make it feel like a cohesive experience altogether. We made a lightweight mobile app on iOS that 
We try to make it at least work and function and sync across the different devices. And my idea is that I know I wanted to build a platform and make sure it's a cohesive, integrated experience. So with that in mind is then how do I actually make sure I get to that point? Whereas a lot of people, let's build MVP and then like, let's kind of keep putting cycles there. I knew where I wanted to go and I took steps to say, let's work on the platform bit by bit. Let's have customers come in and start using it. That was my goal is that the, the path to customers is the, the first way to go. If you build, 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 build and never bring customers, you'll be stuck. So my goal is how do I ask quickly get to customers and then use that to help drive how I'm evolving this. If it's not customer driven, you're going to be stuck. Well, let's switch to team then. So, so how did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? I've now had a few different experiences with co-founders and who do you bring on the team initially. My first thing about bringing the co-founders is bring people you really think you can connect with and trust for co-founders. I realized off my experiences that who do I trust the most and who can work with me the best was my brother. And now most people can't have that or have that relationship, but there's often people from past work um, relationships you build or maybe introductions where you build that relationship with people. But I think trust is paramount when you're the co-founding team because you're at this a long time. You're spending a lot of hours, spending years on this. You want someone who you can spend it day in and day out with. And then initial team, for me, I started off with Cloak by hiring a couple of contractors. I didn't mind if the some of the code was thrown away. A lot of people get really caught up in like, oh, we're building technical data, this code will be thrown away. But for me, that was completely fine because I needed to get the experience and the idea of how will customers interact with this. And then when we first got our round of pre-seed funding, I brought on one person from my previous job. I had previously been his leader or, and I guess an analogous uh, analogy for someone else would be maybe a teammate, someone you worked with, a coworker. For me, I was um, his boss and I always loved his work ethic, the way he approached problems, the way he said, let me think about this, get back to you. There's a lot of friction in figuring out the product early on. And you can't also have friction with the people you're working with. They want You want to have people that you can easily jive with and connect with. So he was someone I really knew well, brought him on, then brought the next person who's also somebody I've worked with for years, been a coworker on a few different things and said, hey, would love for you to stop what you're doing, come work with me pitching them what, we're, what I'm all about and him saying like, yeah, I, that sounds amazing. So I had now a back engineer and a front end engineer who just joined the team. And I was like, this is awesome. And that kind of became my first core team. And then we started slowly uh, and brought on one person who I uh, worked with in the past and he was a coworker of mine and he wasn't quite ready to make a commitment, but he really liked what we were doing. And he joined us as a contractor, helping us a little bit on how we do things. But he then started making introductions oh, let's make, I have a great person you should meet, this person you should meet. And so that circle of trust kind of widens when you pick that core people you like. They often have people they know or people you know that kind of can get introductions to from either source. So for me, it starts people you've worked with or know in a setting that there's not gonna be a lot of friction and they can really help you figure out things. And then often, if you, along the way as a journey, built some network or things, or even if you haven't, that first person you bring on might bring on one other person. And then that person brings on somebody else. And it's often a very easy domino effect and how, at least for Cloak, that's how we really did it. Um, I had a really, I had a strong network myself 
and I put people saying, hey, leave your job, come join me. Uh, and then they has like, Archie, if you, if I'm coming on, you got to bring on this person. He's amazing or she's amazing. And we brought them on. And that was a, that's really how we built the team as it grew. But early on as a couple of people, I said, you're really easy to work with. You're pretty smart. It's okay if the code's not great. Let's go at it. So let's flip to scalability. I think I know where you're going to go with this one based on the one big Python file. I'm going to ask it openly. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? Or have you been fighting this as you've been growing and gaining traction? So I took a stab at it. I didn't build it to scale right away. I knew that there'd be things like, for example, even today we talk about let's go full microservice architecture and a full and everything we do. But I knew early on if I did that, it's going to create more headaches that I don't have the time to manage. And so scale is always an interesting challenge for founders and technical founders especially about, or technical team members generally, because when do you approach that? And I think for me, is you should pick the scale for where you're, where you're at, and then plus maybe six months or 12 months that you can really forecast and think about. I made decision like we were using a microservice style architecture, but we we're using lambdas. As an example, I was like, I tried to make it scale early on by building it in a microservice style. And then when I, when we eventually hired a lead backend engineer, he's like, oh, this is silly. Let's move to containers. And he moved to Kubernetes-style, container-style architecture. It's still a monolith, but a nice container-based system. And then we're going to be moving again back to microservice, but in a different way where there's no Django layer. For me, for scale, don't worry about it so much. Let the problems come to you in a bit, because if you're like, I have too many customers, the system's breaking every day, that's a very good problem to have. No one's excited by, I have the most efficient system ever. We found out our system scales really well. We had one accident when one of our QA engineers was testing uh, cloaked text messages. He actually built a infinite loop and we had sent 16 million text messages to ourselves in like seconds. And we're like, oh shoot, I guess the server scales really well. But that was a, uh, a fun learning moment for me. But initially I never thought about, make some good decisions early on, but you don't need to make the best decisions. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The thing that changed my entire trajectory for my life was when I was 17, I actually helped design and create a prosthetic hand for a three-year-old child. I used 3D printing, 3D design to design, model, and create. And this is before there's all these projects out there and 3D printing is now a big craze. This is a little bit earlier on. And it was that moment when I saw the project come to life and see a three-year-old move his hand and actually pick up an object because he was missing fingers. He had amniotic band syndrome and couldn't, didn't have fingers. And we built his hand to really make sure that he could actually talk and I don't talk, interact, hold hands and pick up things. So when I saw him using that, it hit me that I have no interest in writing bots that can scrape for Nike sneakers or trying to do uh, things like that, trying to make quick bucks. I was like, I always want to build something or go to the fangs and just make a lot of salary. I want to big things that build things that make value and create value for people in their lives. It has a big impact on them and what uh, and everything they do. And I said, I want to make sure that everything I do has a purpose and people love it and it's really making a difference in their own lives. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I think at that moment that out of all the things I've done, I've done a lot of things over my career. And I think that's that moment where I said, this is awesome. And it wasn't even coding. There's, there's mostly 3D design and 3D printing. It's a completely different aspect of technology. But 
I said, everything I do has to create value and that's, I'm not going to deviate from that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think I could have made a lot more money if I did a bunch of things, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick to that, that, that principle. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you responded to it. I've made many mistakes. Mistakes people make when you get funding. Uh, this thing is the one mistake I made was that we got funding and I said, oh, I need to hire a bunch of really smart people. And I did. We hired a bunch of smart people, joined the team. And I realized that even though we have a set of brilliant people on the team working with us and bringing it on, I can't step away. I, I thought maybe they're all smarter than me. They should be leading this and working on this and I'll work on building the business. And they figured out a lot of the product. I rectified the mistake after some time, but I said, oh, I need to be directly involved in the product and the work we're doing. I can't step away and uh, try to think about how business growth. At these early stages, it's really important. You have to be involved in a lot of things. Now, delegation and these things are really important, but your life and your blood and your thinking and all your imagination and creativity is in that business. And so if you don't bring that to life, you're not going to see in the products or the customer experiences. And if you don't go on customer interview calls, if you don't try to get insights, like these people often, when you're especially a founder, say, oh, I, my team is going to, is working on that. It's really important that you sit on customer calls, you uh, talking to your product teams, reviewing designs. Even if it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm writing code because we need to move the business forward. It's more about that's how you stay in tune to what you're doing. So my mistake, I think, was that, oh, that's how the world works, right? You have to bring some smart people and then delegate and then let them run the show. Uh, and then I guess that's how you're supposed to do it. And I was like, no, that's not the case. You're still the, the breathing heart of the business. You need to make sure that that comes to life really easily, really, in everything you're doing. And you will grow. As the business grows, customers come in, there'll be new delegation, more levels. But there's always at a core, and that's something I heard from other founders that even that 200 employees, he's like, yeah, Arjun, it... This is how it works. Like you are into everything and it's not going to change for a while. And like, that's okay. So, okay. With Cloaked, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? We're still actively increasing and adding people to our team from engineering design. And our team's one thing is very, it's all remote. So we started, the company began in the heart of the pandemic. So we truly embrace being a remote company. Uh, and I think we're going to, that's going to stay. Now, I think how, how do you make remote work? There's ideas of, I have some principles of that when you hire someone, try to hire someone near someone else. That way there's some buddy system. For me, I think team-wise, we're gonna keep expanding, growing, adding people really uh, amazing, wonderful, smart, talented to the team. They're all, we're all working towards this mindset that for where we're at right now, our goal is to put you in control of your identity. How do you perceive yourself when you're sharing information online? How do you perceive you? Making that really easy, simple. And the vision of Cloak is put you in control of everything about yourself, from your identity, to your activity, to even how apps personalize things to you. That's where you want to go and where our vision is. We know that's exciting, but you have to start simple. And that's where we're saying the identity is like, how do people perceive and connect to you? And that's where people understand the problem the most. And then we add all these things as we advance, as opposed to scaring people away with blockchain and VPN and all these things. You want to make it baked in step by step, not throw everything all at once. Well, let's switch to you, Arjun. Who influences the way that you work? 
Name someone you look up to or multiple people or, or things that you look up to and why. If I had to say one name, it would be my father. My father is a brilliant man and at his age, so hardworking. We joke that my brother's the innate brilliant one and I'm the hardworking one. And he, my father somehow has both. He is, works harder than me and a genius. My mother equally has got the energy and decision-making ability that I have never seen parallelized. But between my parents, I think if I had to pick a name to my father, my father and mother. But in terms of the industry, I think we always call them the names like Steve Jobs and everything. But I think I look at it as a combination of each. Like when people ask me like, what's one business thing that comes to, in, comes to mind? People think me to say Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. Like the first name I think about is Bezos because of his business acumen. How did he organize his team, approach a problem, build that to scale, the way he approached making this a massive business, and the mindset kept reinvesting in Amazon. The joke back like 12, 12 years ago was that Amazon wasn't a profitable company because they kept reinvesting in themselves. So I think he made a lot of smart business decisions. But then I look at Elon Musk, he has a lot of quirks around him, but the thing that I admire really more than the other things is his ability to really put his voice out there and really make things happen. He said, I'm gonna change industry. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna put ourselves on the Mars. Like, I don't know if likelihood he'll make it happen, but he does make some meaningful progress along the way. Steve Jobs, the obsession about customers and really making something that customers can love, I really admire. I don't like his attitude and the way he treated people. I think you can treat people well and change the world. Uh, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive, but with Steve Jobs' perspective, the way he approached building quality perfection, but really all geared around the customer experience and customer obsession. That I really admire the most. I have, it's technically very against cloaked and thinking about Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg, I think about, well, he's like, I built something and like, let's keep running, let's keep iterating, let's build cycles around improving. And so for me, I look at people as kind of the good traits to pick up and then watch out for some of the bad traits on these things and how can you learn from those? Well, well last question, Arjun. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it, they can't wait to show it off to the world, and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? So I met the founder in exactly the situation. The advice I gave is, I work on something that makes you happy or gives you energy. If, make sure that you're not chasing some exciting solution or uh, think you could go make a big money. If you are personally excited by the problem you're solving, and uh, one, there's a market. There's, I don't know how big a market is for, I don't know, finding uh, red plants. Like, I, I just like, the idea is like, find a problem that you're really excited about and put your heart and soul into it, but take it step by step. Very quickly, find how you can validate, put people in front of it, get them to understand it. Uh, I, I met this founder in exact situation. He showed me his prototype and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Keep tinkering on this. You're on the right track. Like, make sure that this is something you love. And he's like, this makes way more sense now, now that we had some feedback. Make sure that you can connect to it. And then, because you amplify it. I think the ultimate the feedback I'd give the entrepreneur is that if you want to embark in building something or try and change the world, make sure that it amplifies your core values and amplifies your strengths. If it doesn't, you're going to have a really hard time trying to hire that out. Bring that in and start small and bring that in front of people. That's what actually creates the biggest uh, value very quickly. And you can expand upon that value. You can't build in a vacuum for too long. 
Oh, that's great advice. Largen, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cloaked. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited that we got a chance to talk today. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.